And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but uh, last Saturday I woke up in the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life, and I thought I was going to see Jesus. I was wishing I was going to see Jesus, actually. Uh, that was the problem, and uh, I was alive still. <laughs> and, uh, but we went to the emergency room, and long story short, found out I had a kidney stone, basically just send you home to wait for the next uh, shoe to drop. And so seven days later, uh, finally uh, uh, passed the kidney stone. And it was, it was so miraculous, uh, that part. Uh, the church prayed. We've been, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. It has been phenomenal. Daniel's done such a, a phenomenal job. Uh, and I've tried to eke my way through one or two of them myself. And thank God I have you to help me. But we've gotten through some, uh, some uh, things. And, uh, and it's been really good. But the church prayed for me. Uh, I said, if anybody has the, uh, the, the gift of healing operating in their life, I hope it's tonight. And they prayed uh, for me. And then, uh, ironically, I, had a, 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 I have a prayer meeting, I mean a, a scheduled prayer with a friend that I do once a month on, on, that lives in Orlando, and uh, we, we had prayer on the morning of uh, yesterday, and so I was sharing with him about this. He shared a testimony about something he had been dealing with, with a headache, and something the Lord had been, had been instructing him in about praying in the Spirit, and, uh, and, and so God instructed us in some things in that uh, in that prayer time, uh, that that to that very thing, and man, I'm gonna tell you what, God was so good and so miraculous. I immediate, I'm, I mean, we barely said the amen, and I went in and and passed that kidney stone with no pain whatsoever. And I can tell you more details about that, but it was phenomenal. It was a miracle of God. And, uh, and so it was awesome. God is, is so good. I've had so much on my mind from being out of pocket and out of commission and so many things. Daniel's been doing a fabulous job the last couple of weeks preaching. I've been, I watched online and uh, it was just uh, really good. But uh, so I've had so many things kind of coming to the end of the, uh, of the study on Revelation that we did. I had a, I had a, a thought there. I was going to do an encore message. I really thought that's what I was going to do. Uh, one last message and I may come back to that. At, at some point, that was just going to really get you hooping and hollering and just excited. Uh, but uh, and then uh, I had a message about uh, the history of of repeating itself with Elisha uh, or Elijah and and how history repeats itself and how they needed a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit and poured out so that revival could come and we need that as well. And uh, I thought maybe that. And then uh, I came to a place where I have been so much this year, and I'm like, God, really? Here we go again, here again? And uh, he's like, yes, here again. So I, as I get older, I'm learning more that it's uh, about him and not about me. And if he says, do something, you do it. And uh, it doesn't have to, I, don't, I used to worry what people would think, and now I'm just becoming to a place where I'm more worried about what he thinks. And so I'm going to talk to you about God's eternal pursuit and in that, we're going to talk about, and it's the new covenant, and in that, we're going to talk about the weakness of man and the strength of God. The weakness of man and the strength of God. And so I want to just, uh, I, I can't, God just said, keep beating this, this into you, Brad, and into my people. Keep, keep, keep until we believe it. Because I'm telling you, uh, it was what, what uh, uh, Brenda just testified to the fact of and what she sang about was to the fact of uh, uh, that, uh, how she felt when she came to God. 
and, and how this woman felt. And actually, we didn't come to God. He came to us. And we're going to see that in the last story here with the woman at the well. I'm going I'm to show you the weakness of man, the weakness of God, and then I'm going to show it to you brilliantly in a picture. I'm going to show you the new covenant in a picture of the woman at the well, and it's phenomenal. So we hope we get there. Uh, I know you've gotten out the last couple of weeks uh, right on time or a little bit. Bear with me. Daniel's prepping you for me because I may, uh, I may, uh, we, I, I was going to be short with the other message, but this one, I, I don't know. Pray, pray for yourselves and pray for me. So Father, we love you and we thank you, God, for the word of God this morning. But God, we need, we need your word. We need your word. God, we need your word. We are being bombarded so much and assaulted by the philosophies of men, by so many other things, God, and we need, we must come to a revelation of grace in this society because, God, or we're going to be joyless. We're going to be miserable. We're going to be bitter. We're going to just have an ugly Christianity. And so, Lord, God, help us to come into the freedom of the new covenant. Help us to come into the, the beauty of, of your grace and of your mercy and of your love. Just like this, this, this song we just sang about Mary's alabaster box, God. And, Lord, just the beauty of that, Lord. The beauty of when you, you came to us and, Lord, our lives were a wreck and we didn't think we, you, you would even receive us in this state, God, but, but because of our weakness and our frailty, God, and our sin nature. But Lord, God, we met the Master, and you forever changed our lives and changed our course. And God, we have a message that needs to go to the whole world now, God, because time is so short, God. The nations are just, uh, Lord, we, we are on the verge, God. Uh, 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 I don't even think people in America, we have our heads so far ducked in the sand, they have no clue. They don't want to watch anything or be involved in any kind of thing. We worship the God of comfort in this society. We don't want to know any pain. We don't want to look into, uh, see anything that's going to go wrong. But God, man, things are, are, are primed. We have, we have war in Russia we, uh, and in the Ukraine. We have, a, we have a guy taking over nations. We have, we have, we have, uh, we have pipelines being blown up and, 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 and the threat of, of people not having he adequate heat. We have the threat of a global recession, just like so many have warned us, like Wilkerson and so many other people. We're, on the, we're on, the glo on the verge of a global, global recession like this world has never seen, God. Uh, Lord, and I don't say all those things to scare us, God, but I just say to sober us up that we are living in the last days, God. We are living in the times that the prophets prophesied. We are living in the time that you wrote about in the book of Revelation, but one of the beautiful parts is, Lord, that we see when all of this chaos, all this evil ramps up, that, God, your plan gets put into place, and, Lord, we win. We win, and we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you uh, have saved us and redeemed us, and, and, Lord, that your plan supersedes all plans. And so, Lord, you are so good, and you are so great, and we are just looking forward to your coming, God. And until you come, we want to tell the whole world about you, Lord, uh, because we want them to be be ready and, and to come uh, to, to, to be part of the people who get to live with you eternally, Lord, rather than those who suffer eternally. And so, Lord, just speak to our hearts today and change our lives through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. God's eternal pursuit. God has always pursued us. 
before you ever found Jesus, like we think, we'll often say, man, he found Jesus. No, you didn't find Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus found you. Amen. He found you. And, and today, we, it, that's always been the eternal quest of God. It, it's, to, it, it's, it, it's just been that. In Jeremiah 31, I want you to look at it and we'll read it real quick. Listen to what he says, because in, in Jeremiah 31, Israel has gone into sin. And, and uh, the Babylonian army has come in to destroy them. And God puts something beautifully right in the middle of this because they're taken into captivity. And then right in the middle of their captivity, he, he, he begins to tell them something about the covenant that they were living in. He begins to tell them, you didn't keep covenant with me. And because you didn't keep covenant with me, that's why you, you, you're seeing this judgment come upon you. And that's why you're being taken into captivity. And he said... Uh, I turn my back on you because of that, because of your covenant breaking that you've done. And he said, but then if it, that would seem hopeless until he gives them this. And this is what's so beautiful. He says, you broke your part of the covenant. We had a covenant. We had an agreement. You broke it. Now you're in captivity. But, but, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, you broke it, and that's why you're in the mess that you're in, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Look at what the next verse. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Amen. I will remember their sin no more. That, that is, a, I'll put my law in your hearts, in your minds. Your sins will I remember no more. And it's really the basis of the new covenant that we have right now. Because that's what he does for us, is it not? Is that not what he come when he found me? He, put his, he wrapped his love around me, didn't he? Forgive us of our sins. Didn't he wash our sins away, cast them as far as the east is from the west? Didn't he bring, make us his people? We are, he is our God and we are are his people. Thank God because of the new covenant. And so it's the basis of the new covenant that we have right now. And one of the greatest preachers of the new covenant was a man by the name of the apostle Paul. Paul came into this revelation like nobody else in the scriptures. Paul was the vessel that God used to bring this new covenant message to the world and understanding to the world. You remember in Acts 9 Paul has this encounter with Jesus. Now there's a lot of people who have had encounters with Jesus. They've come into church and they've had a encounter with Jesus and they left with just an encounter with Jesus. But Paul Paul had something more. Paul was struck down to the ground and the Bible says he was blinded and then Paul doesn't just have an encounter. Paul has a revelation of Jesus. He has an encounter plus a revelation and the Bible says that all of a sudden Paul has this different experience an encounter where he has this revelation and he says, Lord, yes it's you. What do you want me to do? And that's the reality that God has gotten into your life. It comes to a place where 
where you have this revelation of who he is and, and, and all of a sudden he's gotten into your life and you begin to say, now God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? My life is yours. Like, like Brenda said, it's hard to give your all away to lose your life. But once you lose your life, once you have this encounter with Jesus, Paul had all this pedigree. He had all these things. I've done this and I've done that. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a, a supposedly a keeper of the law. I've done all of these things. I probably can memorize the Torah and tell you all about that. I'm just a Hebrew of Hebrews. But all of a sudden, Paul comes to a place where he has this revelation of Jesus and he says, it's dung. It's dung. It's excrement. It's nothing. It's garbage. Everything before I count as loss to the excellency of Jesus Christ. And if you have not counted your life lost, all your good things, all your bad things, then, then you really haven't had an encounter with the Master. Maybe you've just had an experience. But when you have a revelation of Jesus, you're willing to say, I give it all away. Give it all away so you can use me. I give myself away. And all of a sudden, Paul says, there's nothing to give my life away for you. And that's truly when Christ has gotten into your heart, you say, my life belongs to you. And Paul begins to live for God. He spent his years experiencing. Hey, look, it, it, what's so amazing when you read about Paul, he doesn't go immediately to the disciples, the Bible says, but he goes into the Arabian desert and he begins to just build on this revelation. He has this experience of the revelation of God like nowhere else. I mean, I mean, Paul is not with the disciples at the resurrection. You would think Paul wouldn't know all these things, but Paul has been shut up with Jesus. He has this revelation. He's in the Word of God. He, he is praying. He is seeking the face of God. And all of a sudden, God is revealing this fullness of the work of Jesus Christ in a greater way than even the disciples had. And that's where he comes out with this foundational covenant, new covenant message that he protects. That's where he has, he, he, in, that, in, that, in that encounter with Jesus, in that revelation that Jesus gives him, he sees the full work of Christ. The full work of Christ in the new covenant. And Paul guards it. And Paul becomes the ambassador of that message. And he, and, and he begins to give the revelation of the fullness of what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Christ. And that's why he comes to Galatians. And he begins to write in Galatians 6-8. through 8, And he begins to tell the Galatians, Hey, I see you're doing something and it's not good. You are mixing the law with grace. And he's saying, I can tell you about the law because I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a big shot when it came to concerning the law. But I had an experience with Christ. And I had a revelation from Him of the finished work of Calvary. And I, he said, and you're doing something that is not good here. And Paul began to just protect this message. And Paul had this revelation of do not mix the grace of God with the law because it seems like you're doing something good. But when you do this, you nullify the power. You nullify the power. 
And so he saw this being propagated, and it's propagated in our churches and in our time as well. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1.6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. They're mixing the grace of God to old covenant teaching. And listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach of any other gospel to you than that which we preach to you. Let him be accursed as you, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you received, let him be accursed. It's strong, strong words. But Paul had an encounter with Jesus and he had a revelation of why Jesus came, what Jesus accomplished. Paul is seeing the old covenant now being propagated in the church and he says, hey, this is a wrong message. And Paul said, get back to the message that has the power of God that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he believes so strong that he calls out Peter in chapter 2. And he says, Peter, he, he begins to call him out. He begins to say, you can never be justified by the law. And he says, we'll have none of this. And, it, and it's the only the grace of God and no flesh will ever be justified by the works of the law. Listen, it's important that we understand this, that we can't dilute this in the body of Christ. This is 30 to 40 years after the resurrection and they're already seeing these issues coming in and still lingering and it's still lingering in the church today. Listen, when Jesus comes, when we encounter Jesus, when we have this experience, when we have this revelation, the holiness and goodness comes and guess what we come to find out? Just like Paul, we are the chief of sinners. We are the chief of of sinners. That's what we come to find out, folks. We come to go, we come like Paul. The further he went, I'm a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst of sinners. He, know to, he knew to live under the law was to live in a broken and empty place. And his understanding of the new covenant is what motivated him to tell the world. And folks, Paul told the whole world of his day almost. It motivated. This, this message motivated him. And I pray the church will get this message back. And it will motivate us with a fresh motivation to tell the world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has come. Christ has come. And He has come to save the world. Amen? So the first covenant exposes the weakness of man. Listen, the first covenant, we've hashed all this out. I'm not going to go through it all the way. But it was between God and Adam. It was a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties, basically. And what you have here is a covenant and an agreement with Adam and God. God's part is, you do what you're supposed to do. I will protect you. I will provide for you. And my presence will be with you. And it was. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. God's presence was always with him. And Adam had a part to keep too. And here was Adam's part, keep one law one law he could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and uh, of evil and 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 the essence of the temptation was this that as soon as you eat of this then God doesn't make the rules anymore you make the rules of what's right and wrong good and evil and Adam said I want that just like we do today God doesn't determine right and wrong anymore. You can determine what your right and wrong is. And we think, man, 
because I've heard us. Oh, Adam. Man, if I'd have been there one row, surely I can keep one row. Adam didn't have a sin nature. Adam lived in a perfect world. And Adam failed. So the longer you start to ponder and think about that, you'll realize you would not keep one rule. And that's the weakness of man. And that's what's not preached in the gospel anymore. Because we want to build man up and say, well, man's not quite that bad. Man, well, it's okay. What's one rule being broken? But he, any, any time that, that God had an agreement with man, man always, go search the scriptures. Anytime God had agreement with man, man always broke his part. He failed every single time. And that's why it's written in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Adam broke his side. Israel eventually came and had a covenant with God. They broke their side. We are always unfaithful, but God is always faithful. So the question would become, why did God create man Knowing the trouble, why, why, why trouble itself? You ever ask that question? Why would God trouble himself to create somebody he knows is going to blow it? Why, why, why would you trouble yourself, God, to do that for Brad Lindsay? I, I've, I've had the hardest time accepting the love of God. I've had the hardest time uh, accepting uh, not doing for God, trying to, trying to earn back respect and back favor with God. Because surely I've got to do something. Surely, surely. And I've spent a lot of years, even of Christianity, futilely trying to, 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 to earn back respect and favor with God. And listen, Revelation 13, 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship Him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. The reason He did what He did is because He already had a plan even before He created us and we fell. He already, before the foundation of the world, was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What an amazing God. There is already a plan of redemption in place before we ever step foot in the garden, before we ever fail. And He is knowing what we would do, but He's saying, yet beyond all of that, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to know my love. And you know, you know the story of Adam and Eve. They eat the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. As soon as they eat it, he says, you'll surely die. We know, we think it's going to be like the Disney movie, Snow White or something, where you eat the fruit and you just fall over dead immediately. That's not what it was. We know that, we know that they're banished outside of the garden, and we know they die spiritually. They die spiritually. But, but, I, but I can guarantee you something began to happen in them when they get outside of that garden, Daniel, and all of a sudden, the first time, one of their boys takes a rock or something and bashes the other boy in the head and all of a sudden there's blood of their son spilled out on the ground dying as they're over the casket or the graveside of their son and all of a sudden they're saying we did this our sin did this we've caused this now look at what we've done 
Look what we brought on ourselves and on humanity. We're flawed. Brokenness has entered into our world. God's response is an important response. God comes in the garden. He says, where are you, Adam? He knows where Adam is. He doesn't, he's, not, he's God. But he's waiting for Adam to come clear. Where are you, Adam? He's waiting for Adam to come out of hiding of his guilt and his shame and his embarrassment and, and all of his things. And I believe if he had come out and he had faced God, I believe God would have met him with mercy and love and grace in that moment. But in shame and in guilt, he hides. And so he comes to deal with Adam's heart. Where are you? Look at what you're doing. How ridiculous. Look at what's going on. And, and, and here's what he does. Here's God's response to our fall. God curses the serpent or the enemy. Next, God curses the ground. You want to know why we have tornadoes and we have earthquakes and we have fires and we have floods and we have work by the sweat of our brow and we have so many things. We live in a fallen world that has been cursed. But I want you to notice some good news. God does not curse Adam and Eve. Oh, glory to God. No, glory to God. He curses the serpent. He curses the, the ground. He does not curse Adam and Eve. And look at what he does. The first gospel of Jesus Christ ever recorded in the Bible. He does the opposite in Genesis 3. Look at what he comes and says to man. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And you shall bruise his head. And you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he, he proclaims the first gospel that is every preach. He says, in your fallen state, in your broken state, I have a plan of redemption. I have a plan that I've already made. I have a plan that I've already put into effect. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. You're in a broken place. You're living in a broken world. But I have a promise to you. Redemption is coming. And he says, he will come and he will bruise, he will bruise my heel. He will bruise the seed of the serpent will come and bruise the heel. And he certainly did because he died. But he said, then the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman, the seed of Mary, the seed of Eve will come and he will come and he will crush his head because three days later, he's going to get up and he's going to rise from the grave triumphantly. And he says, the weakness of man now has been solved through the strength of God. So why do you keep trying to make God all these foolish promises? Why do you keep trying to act so sanctimonious like you're something you're not, church world? Be real with God. He knows what we are. Come out of hiding and be the real person that we are. And show God our shame. Show Him our nakedness. Show us our guilt. He's not going to bash you. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And so Paul is protecting this new covenant in Christ. Look at what he preaches in Galatians 2, 16, where they're beginning to mix this up with the law. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, 
But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. How much more clear can we get than that? Why is there even any more argument going on in churches around the world today? Trying to serve God by keeping the law is an act of futility. Look at what he goes on to say. Therefore, in verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? God works among us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we, as we put our faith and trust in the finished work that has been done on Calvary. As we have this encounter with God, we have this revelation of this that comes to us and the Holy Spirit now is at liberty to work and cause us to be transformed and changed, to leave our old life of sin and, 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 and of guilt and of shame and to walk in newness of life by the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at what he says in Galatians 3.10. The problem is that we've already failed. Look at what he says. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All of them. Let me give you a distinction of the old covenant and the new covenant. And then I'm going to close out with... This beautiful illustration with the woman at the well. In Deuteronomy 28, the children of Israel are ready to go into the promised land. Moses takes them to two mountains. One mountain is Mount Ebal. And Mount Ebal is desolate. There's no vegetation. It's a place of death. It's the mountain of cursings. Then there is Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerasim is identical. It's over to the other side. And on Mount Gerasim, it is flourishing and it is green. It is the mountain of blessing. Moses took six tribes. He took 12 tribes in. He took six tribes and he put six on Mount Ebal, the Mount of Cursing. He put six tribes on Mount Gerasim, the Mount of Blessing. And Moses gathered them together. The priests come and they begin to repeat the law to each other about blessing and about cursing. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy 1.1. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you to you today that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth and all the blessings shall come upon you to overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God blessed shall you be in the city blessed shall you be in the country he says if you obey the law every bit of it then blessings are going to come to you how many want blessings? all of us all of us Oh, 20, yes, thank you, thank you. Chapter 28, sorry about that. And then he goes down in verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you and be defeated before your face. Thou shalt come in against you one way and they shall flee seven ways. Look at what he goes on down to talk about these blessings when you keep the law. The Lord will open up you, to you his good treasure. I mean, who doesn't want the treasures of heaven opened up to us? Look at verse 13. And the Lord will make you, if you keep the law, the head and not the tail. You shall be above only 
and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Sounds like an amazing deal. However, the problem is, Moses goes up the mountain to get the law and when he come, and presents the law. And when he comes back down, one day later, they're down there frolicking and they can't even keep the law. One day! They're dancing and they're, they're building a golden calf and they're naked celebrating around the golden calf. And it's not that the law is not perfect. The law is absolutely perfect. The law is absolutely, it's our ability. Please hear me. It's your ability to keep it. Stones outside of you can do no good to help you keep it. Right? Hear me, please. This is life or death. Please hear me today. This is the difference in this is the difference in 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 in, in uh, uh, non-victory Christianity and victory victory uh, today. If you get this revelation, if you, it's the difference between encounter and revelation. Come into the revelation of God. Listen to what He says. Here's what He begins to go on telling. But it shall come to pass in verse 15. If you will not obey the verse of the Lord your God to observe carefully, and there's that word all. Most of us say, well, I'll just do my best. That's not the old covenant. It's not the old covenant to say, I'll keep, I'll keep nine of the ten. I'll keep eight of the, I'll keep five of them. It's, that's not the deal. The deal between God and man and us is you keep it all or else. James says if you break it in one, you broke it all. The old covenant is based upon observing carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command to you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. And he goes through this chapter telling all of the curses. James, as I said, says if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of them all. Isaiah 53 tells us we've all gone astray. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Every man has gone his own way. Every man is not right. There is no one perfect. The law is perfect and good. It should be a guideline of how we live our lives. We should, the, the law is good. It should be our guideline. We should be, we should be following the commandments of the God. We should have them in our classrooms. We should put the Ten Commandments back on the courtroom walls. walls. We should put them back in our schools. They are, they are amazing. They're perfect. That should be our guide. But you keeping them apart from God? It's futile because we constantly fail and we fail not kind of, we fail miserably. If you're guilty in one point, you're guilty in them all. And some of us have a hard time saying we're guilty. Rather than trying to go through the wall of sin to get to God by your good works... Jesus has provided a way. 
And this is what Paul is guarding. This is what Paul is getting into cahoots with Peter and some of the other apostles. This is what Paul has gotten the revelation of the fullness of God. And this is where he's saying, if you get a hold of this, this is the key to the victory that is found. And I want to close it out with an illustration in John 4 that I hope will cause you to see the beauty of the new covenant that is so absolutely phenomenal. The story is told through the perspective of the new covenant. And it's a perfect perfect model of understanding the difference of the old covenant and of the new covenant. Look at what he says here in John 4 and 5. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now what's so amazing about this story is in Deuteronomy 28, this is the exact same spot. She is at the base of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. You remember she gets in this argument with Jesus. We worship on that mountain, Mount Gerizim. Our people worship right there. This is the very place where Moses has this dialogue about the old covenant. And now Jesus must come through a town and have this other dialogue with a woman about the new covenant. And I want you to see the difference of what is going on in this very place. Nothing in the Word of God is it is absolutely phenomenal. Your God is unbelievable. He is amazing. He is so perfect. His ways are just, it, my mind just starts when I see things like that. It just, go, it just explodes because I can't believe how good He is and how right and how perfect and how precise and how amazing He is. Right at the base of that mountain. That's not coincidence. That's, that's strategic. There is a whale called Jacob's well and that's where Jesus comes to meet with this woman at the well and what's so significant about it is what I said this incredible distinction between Moses and the children of Israel and Jesus in his interaction with the woman at the well Jesus actually says these words I must go through Samaria most Jews go around Samaria Jesus says I gotta go through there let me tell you a little bit about Samaria at the time when Jeremiah who we started with was was a prophet and Jerusalem was destroyed and taken captive they took the captives captive but guess what some Jews stayed in the land and they began to intermarry and they began to have children with people that were not not Jewish and that was a forbidden in the law of Moses so they broke the law of Moses so here these people are they're called the Samaritan people and the Jews said we'll have nothing to do with you You claim to be the people of God, but you broke the law. And you still talk about God, and you still try to do the things of God. We got you. We won't even, we won't even, we won't have anything to do with you. And it's such a picture of Adam's race. I know you're just thinking about the worst people you know. It's such a picture of Adam's race. Because our parents sinned, and we got born into it. We're born lawbreakers. These people are lawbreakers when they come into the world. They, their parents have intermarried. They've broken the law of Moses. They're, they're worshiping other gods. And, and they're obvious, uh, they're commandment breakers. You're born in sin. We're the people of God. You're born in sin. We're the Christians. 
We go down to that church, Brookside Church of God, y'all. And it's interesting that they would talk to Romans. They would talk to Greeks. They would have nothing to do with the Samaritan people. They didn't want anything to do with them. They, because they claimed they were the people of God. They claimed they were blessed by God, yet they were lawbreakers. He comes to this very spot. He sits down with this woman. He begins to talk to her. It says it's the sixth hour of the day. Women would have all gathered together. They would have come communally with their water pots. But notice this woman doesn't come communally because even they won't have anything to do with her. Even the Samaritans are saying... Thank God I'm not like her. These are the lawbreakers and now they're pointing to the other lawbreaker and saying, well, at least we're not as that bad. Five husbands? And you're living with one now? Who's not your husband? And they won't even have anything to do with her. So she comes to this well alone. And we read the story. We, 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 we see it. And we say, again, it's, it's symbolic of all humanity. And this woman is, is there, and she's born into sin. And because of Adam, we are born into sin. And she had this life of sin. Not only is she born in it, she has a life of sin. And folks, you can put all the makeup on it that you would like. You can try to carry and make yourself to look as good as you want to. You might look better measured up to me, but I got news for you. Match yourself up against the glory of God, and you're going to come short every single time. We're all so far from God even now. We are all sinners and we need the grace of God. And she is a picture of all of us. And if you're completely honest, then you know you still walk through some areas of brokenness and sin even now in your life. So the disciples are told to go into town, get some food. I want to talk to this woman. I want this recorded in the Scriptures forever. The place that the children of Israel were gathered and they repeat the law 1,500 years earlier. And this is what Jesus says to this woman next in verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... How is a Jew? Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. In other words, we're born in, I'm born into sin. Jesus answered her and said this. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. In other words, if you had had an encounter and really knew who I was and really knew that I had what I had to give you, then you would quit trying to be a good person. You would quit Quit trying to obey 613 laws that you cannot obey. And you would come and ask for me in faith. And I would give you the kingdom. If you knew who I was. If you knew, if you had a revelation of I had, like Paul did on the road to Damascus, this person who persecuted and murdered the church, this lawbreaker, if you had a revelation like he had of who I am, you would know what I can do for you and what I can give you, and you would come to me by faith, and you would ask me for the kingdom of heaven. And I'm ready to give you the treasure of heaven. 
I'm ready to give you eternal life. I'm ready to give you well water that will bubble up inside of you to eternal, everlasting life. If you would ask. If you would respond when the preacher is begging you to respond. Hey sinner, come to God. She still doesn't know who he is. It's unbelievable. She doesn't have a revelation yet because look at what he says. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, because she's asking about the living water now, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, this natural well water, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. She's had this encounter. He's trying to give her this revelation of the finished work of Jesus. The things of this world is what he's saying will perish, but what I'm giving you is eternal. The things of this world will perish. The things that you try, young people out in the world, they're going to fizzle out. But if you would come to me and ask for this living water, I would give you what will never fade away and that will what will satisfy you forever. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about eternity. And he's talking about everything that he came to accomplish. And it all comes by believing in me. Having a revelation of me. Peter. You've been with me this long. Do you not know who I am? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And we think the woman's pursuing Jesus. But Jesus found her. I must need go find this sinful woman. A must need go in 1994 and find bread after he's been in a strip joint. After he's lied to me and promised me over and over again, he'll keep the next law. And this woman is living in sin. She's getting water and she's arguing with a Jewish man. She doesn't know who he is. She's arguing with a Jewish man on this right there at the base of this mountain. And, she, and she's there living in sin. She's getting, she's getting her water and having this argument with him. And she does not know who is standing in front of her. If she knew who was standing in front of her, surely she would ask him for this wonderful, wonderful gift of eternal life. And finally in verse 26, like in my apartment one time. Finally, and this is why I will not, I will not, I will be like Paul and I'll preach this message of grace till the day I die. I'm not going back there because she sees Jesus. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been looking for. 
I'm the liberator. I'm the one who can do something about this. He's the God who revealed himself to her. She got revelation, and it's so amazing. She had the revelation that God loves her. God loves her. And folks, we need this encounter. We need this revelation. And we need a proper understanding of salvation by grace through faith because I'm flawed, and I need a Savior. I need a Savior yesterday. I need a Savior today. And I'll need a Savior for all of eternity. And I love what this says next. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men there, Come and see the man who told me all things I ever did. Hey, could this be the Christ? Then they went to the city and they came to him. Now i got a question for you. Why in the world, Cindy, did they go follow this woman? They wouldn't even go get water with her. Because this revelation changed her life. Not keeping of the law. Faith. And the work of the Holy Spirit can come to a work. Now, she went and, and, and look, the disciples come back and they're like we are. They're law based. They come back from getting their groceries. What's, what are you doing, Jesus, talking to this woman? Don't you know who she is? Now, here's the beautiful part. They get it later because Philip comes back, if you remember the book of Acts, and preaches a revival in Samaria. And the town has massive revival. And that's when the conversions take place because, the, because, because the, the Jesus has not yet ascended. But let me tell you something. I believe that revival is completely a work uh, of this woman who was the first missionary that was sent out in that town. And I believe the seeds were sown. And then when Philip and the others come through this town later preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fullness of this revelation, all of a sudden the town of Samaria, he's bringing the gospel to these people and saying the gospel ain't just for the Jew it's for the Gentile it's for the whole world and so today I'm begging you come ask seek knock and the door will be open to you ask seek knock and the door will be open to you. Ask for this experience. Ask for this revelation of Christ. And the door, get into the Bible and begin to say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to see you. God, I want you to reveal yourself to me through the pages of Scripture. And I guarantee you, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, like the woman, this is me. It's me. It's me. I'm here. And if you knew Who it was you just had an encounter with. If you knew who I am, you would just simply ask me and I would give you eternal life. (laughs) Oh, for the legalists, that's too hard. I know, I know that, I know that ruins your day. I know, I know you want to keep that one command and please God. It doesn't work. He kept 613 commands, every one of them, for you and me. He pleased the Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. 
God is completely pleased with the human race through His Son, Jesus Christ. When we repent and we come to Him by faith, we receive grace and we receive mercy and we receive the Holy Spirit and then comes the power the power to live a new life. The power. Then comes the new, the writing of the law on our heart. And He begins to help us live the commandments and walk it out. No longer I, Paul said, who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And I don't live in it by the keeping of the law. I live in it by faith in the Son of God who gave His life. The law's good. The law is perfect. You know what the law has come to do? To be a schoolmaster to you. It's come to prove your guilt and to make your mouth stop before God and to say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged and I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Father, God, don't let ever be said that we're not to follow your law or that your law is not good. It's good. The problem, Lord, is stone tablets can't change or convert my heart. Only the redemption of Jesus Christ. Only what was accomplished in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit coming into my life can I be made new. Nicodemus and Jesus had this conversation one night. And he said, a man must be born again by the Spirit if he wants to see the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Hallelujah.